Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Christ is in us. Christ is in you. And it's through the indwelling presence of Christ that we are being transformed from glory to glory. And in as much as we feed that spirit life, in as much as we put the emphasis and the focus upon that, then Christ who is in us will also emanate out from us. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Colossians. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 29 in a message titled, Christ in You. Now, here's Pastor Brian. We are called by God to take the truth of God and to make it known to the people of God today. That that is our task. That is our job. And God help us to not lose sight of that. You know, there are certain times, and I think right now we're in a, a moment in history where there's There's so many different things that are pulling on us and and especially on preachers, teachers of God's word. So many issues, so many things. You know, I could tell you right now that there are plenty of people out there that would advise me, hey, you need to preach on this today. These are the issues. This is the topic. These are the current things. This is what you should be speaking about today. Well, you know, I do my best to shut all of that out. I want to speak on what I'm called to speak on, and that's God's truth. That's the gospel. That's God's word. And I want to hear from the Lord himself, Lord, what do you want to say to your people today? I don't want to take from the news feed. I don't want to, you know, take it from the Twitter scroll. I want to, I want to receive from the Lord. Lord, what is the word that you have? And that's, that was Paul's conviction. Paul, his conviction was that he was called to preach and to teach and specifically regarding this mystery that had been hidden from ages and generations. So, so what is this mystery that Paul, it's given to Paul to, uh, to unfold this? Well, in writing to the Ephesians, remember we mentioned that Ephesians and Colossians are very, very similar. And some passages are verbatim, just identical statements in in the two letters. But there's obviously clear differences as well. But in some places, they're very much the same. And in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says things there that are almost identical to what he says here in verse 26. Let me just read it. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints... To them, God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Listen to Ephesians 3, 4 through 6. Paul says there, the mystery of Christ. So so he's going to explain the mystery of Christ. This is what he's talking about. But let me just say this. You know, the mystery of Christ, there's still people in the broader church world today who think of the mystery of Christ as something that is still a mystery. 
as something that you can't really totally even comprehend. Now, some of you know I grew up in Roman Catholicism. And in Roman Catholicism, there's still a heavy emphasis on the, on the mystery. Now, I mean, granted, there are still some mysterious things. We don't know everything about the Lord and his word and the gospel and the ways of the spirit and all that. There's still mystery. There's still a place to say, I don't know that. Or there's still a place to expect God to do things that we might not be thinking that he's going to do. That, that's all legit. But when you have this idea put forth that the gospel is a mystery that we can never really finally get, then that just leaves you in a place where you can never have the kind of confidence or security that the statements of the New Testament clearly indicate that we should have. And so, going back to my own experience in Roman Catholicism, I remember at times, you know, when I was on my quest, when I was trying to figure life out and I somehow knew that God was real and somehow I needed to make the connection, I remember talking to some of the leadership in the church, the deacons and the priests, and I remember as I would ask questions and stuff, you know, they would just sort of say, well, you know, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. Man, if it's a mystery to you guys, just think of what it is to me because I, you know, I don't really know anything. I'm here to get, I'm here to get some, some clarity, but they were still saying, well, it's a mystery. Well, like I said, there is some mystery, but there's no mystery around what the gospel is. The gospel is clear. The mystery part of it is, as Paul says, it was hidden from previous generations, but the whole point is now it's revealed to us. Now we know what it is. And so here it is. He says, the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men. He's referring back to the Old Testament period. As it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Here it is, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. That's it. This is the thing that now Paul is commissioned to bring to the world. That the Gentiles, the people outside of Israel, the people that centuries and centuries ago, God allowed to go their own way. And because God allowed them to go their own way, many of the covenant people assumed that God was finished with them forever. That was the mistake that they made. And of course, Paul would have been one of those at a certain time in his life. While Paul was a self-righteous Pharisee, he certainly thought that there was the Gentiles, there, there was nothing about them that God would have had any interest in. You know, some of the rabbinical literature gives us some ideas of how they thought about the Gentiles. One quick example, simply, the Gentiles were created to stoke the flames of hell. That was the whole purpose of the existence of Gentiles. But what the prophets had hinted at the psalmist and the prophets is that, no, there, there was a glorious future for the Gentiles, but they couldn't figure it out. It was, it was blurry. And so Paul is saying that his ministry is to take this that was previously hidden from ages and generations and to make it known. 
That's what Paul was doing. I love what John Calvin actually said about this. Speaking of the riches of the glory of this mystery, he said, those riches have been manifest among the Gentiles for what is more wonderful than that the Gentiles who for so many ages had been sunk in death so as to seem utterly beyond hope are suddenly reckoned among the sons of God and receive the inheritance of salvation. Isn't that beautiful? And that was the heart of Paul, where his Jewish colleagues who had rejected the Messiah, they had disdain, ongoing disdain for the Gentiles. They had no room or place in their hearts or in their view of the kingdom for the Gentiles. Paul says, no, the Gentiles are now, they're brought in on equal footing. And what a wonderful thing that is when you think about it, isn't it? I mean, isn't it true that when you see somebody who comes to Christ out of just a deep, dark pit, when you see somebody that is saved and and radically saved, if you will, because of the places that they had been, and you know, or somebody that you even at times maybe yourself, you just couldn't imagine that this person could ever be saved. And when they get saved, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't, this is the greatest thing ever. It just causes a total rejoicing, right? Well, that's how Paul felt about the Gentiles. The fact that the Gentiles were being saved was an absolute mind blower for Paul in the best sense of the word and something that filled his heart with absolute joy. So he says, like I said here, to the Ephesians, he tells us what that mystery is. And now here to the Colossians, he says the same thing, but he puts it very succinctly. He says, to them God willed, to to the saints God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery, verse 27, I'm in, among the Gentiles, here it is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's it. That's the mystery. The mystery is that Christ is in you. And again, this, this is revolutionary. This is revolutionary in Colossae. This is revolutionary in Ephesus. This is revolutionary in Hierapolis and Laodicea and all of those surrounding places where this gospel has come going out from Paul's ministry there in Ephesus. This is a revolution. And listen, it should be a revolution today as well. And let's pray that it becomes a revolution again, that this radical conversion. Now, think with me just for a second, if you can. I'm, I'm sure you could probably think of somebody. You know, just think of, uh, of a person, maybe a person you know, or think of you know, some of maybe what we see going on in the culture right now and all the craziness with that. And just think of some person that just seems so far out there, some person that seems so lost, some person, or let's even say some group of people that we just think that, man, those people are, you know, kind of like the Jews thought about the Gentiles. There's just, there's nothing for them with God. And let's remember that the mystery is that God can save them and Christ could actually dwell in them and be their hope of glory. 
You see, this is why we can never give up hope because we have the gospel. And this is why we can't preach something other than the gospel. And that's why Paul goes on and he says, concerning Christ, who is the hope of glory, he says, him we preach. It's him we preach. This is the church's message. The church's message is Christ. The church's message is Jesus, the the person, the, the son of God, the savior, and all that has to do with him. But listen, I can tell you right now, there are many churches across the land that are preaching, but they're not preaching Christ. They're preaching something else. Oh, Christ is, you know, he's sort of little smatterings of Christ here and there and there and, you know, a scripture here and that there. But, but there's a different thing that's being preached. And that's not the mission of the church. You know, the famous Welshman Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who preached in London for many years. He was, he was always so annoyed by the church when the church would get off and you know, start preaching other things. And this is what he said. He said, you know, there are other entities within a society that can do that. And they should do that. But none of them can do what the church can do, and only the church can do what the church can do. Only the church can preach the gospel. And so, you know, this is one of the reasons why for years and years I have had the conviction that, you know, I'm not going to get up in this pulpit and give you a rundown of the news this week. You can watch the news if you want to at home. That's fine. You can get plenty of that, right? Those news agencies, they're doing a great job. It's 24-7. They just tell you the same story over and over and over and over again for 24 straight hours. And then by the end of it, you're out of your mind. You're totally crazy. You're upset. But you know, they're not telling you the gospel. They're not telling you about Jesus. They're not telling you about the, the hope of heaven. They're not telling you that. The church is supposed to tell you that. And... But, but, you know, when the church gets confused and thinks that we're a news outlet and that we've got to just regurgitate what we heard on the news this week, that's, that's a tragedy. Paul says, him we preach. We preach Christ. And, of course, there are things in preaching Christ that are going to cause us to address things in the culture. I'm not saying that we don't do that, but... This is a place where Christ is preached. Him we preach. And then he says, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or mature in Christ Jesus. Paul says, to this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So him we preach. Warning every man. Now, the word warning here could also be translated and is translated admonish in other translations. The idea behind the word is to gently caution. But there is a place where we have to warn. We have to warn people that there are things that are going to try to pull us away, that there are things that are going to distract us potentially, that there is this constant 
effort on the part of the enemy to eclipse Christ among his own people and get his own people off onto something else. So Paul says we, we warn and we teach in all wisdom. What is the objective? That we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's our goal, to present every man perfect, every woman perfect. And again, perfect means mature, to make us whole in the faith. That's our task. That is what we do. That is why we open the Bible. When we gather together, that is why we go through the word of God, because we believe that God's word is living and powerful. We believe that it is sharper than a two-edged sword. We believe that it does pierce to the, to the dividing of the, the soul and spirit, that it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. We believe that this word is transformative. And so we give ourselves to teaching it and, of course, to observing it. Now, I want to close by going back to Christ in you, the hope of glory. And let's just look at this for a moment. And I want to emphasize um, one word in the, the sentence, Christ in you, each time. So first of all, Christ, that's the emphasis, Christ in you. Think about that. And remember, who are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the one who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, the one through whom everything was made, visible and invisible, whether you know things in heaven or things on earth. All things were made by him. All things were made for him. And in him, all things are held together. And he is, remember, he is the firstborn from the dead. He's the head of the church. This is the one, Paul says, is in you. See, this is the miracle. The miracle is Christ in you. Christ is in you. And that's the second point. Christ is in you. He's not merely near you. He is not only with you, as wonderful as both of those things are, to have Christ near us, to have Christ with us. But this is the ultimate. Christ is in you. Christ himself dwells in you. Christ lives in us, the people of God. He lives in the church uh, collectively. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the collective. But individually, we're also the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so thirdly, Christ in you, this is the personal encounter where the life of God enters into the soul of a person. Christ is in you. So, Christ is in us. Christ is in you. And it's through the indwelling presence of Christ that we are being transformed from glory to glory. And in as much as we feed that spirit life, in as much as we put the emphasis and the focus upon that, 
then Christ who is in us will also emanate out from us. You know, this is a, a desire of mine, a personal desire. I know that it's coming someday, but you know, my personal desire is, gosh, I want to be more like Jesus. How does that happen? And I, I was thinking about, I was actually reading about Moses. And remember that part of the story where Moses, he goes and he goes 40 days and 40 nights up into the mountain to be with the Lord, to receive the commandments. And it says that Moses is there in the presence of the Lord. He neither eats bread nor drinks water. You know, you can't not drink for 40 days and live. That's impossible. But Moses lived. How did he live? He was in the presence of God. God's presence sustained him. And then remember what happened when Moses came down the mountain? He came down the mountain and he didn't even know it, but his face was shining with the glory of God. So much so that the children of Israel, they were, it was kind of blinding to them. They're like, man, we need some sunglasses to be around Moses. And what did Moses do? He put, he put the veil over his face. But here's my point. That happened to Moses who spent time with the Lord. What if we spend more time with the Lord who dwells in us already? Wouldn't it stand to reason that that presence of Christ who is in us would begin to manifest himself through us, through our speech, through our gestures, through our behavior, and maybe even through our countenance as well. Christ in you, the personal encounter. And Paul says then, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. The word hope in the New Testament doesn't mean hope like we think. We think about hope as we long for something that we want to happen, but we're not certain that it will. But in the New Testament, hope has more of a certainty to it. So it's a confidence. Christ in you, the hope in the sense of the confidence or the certainty of glory. And what is glory referring to? Well, it's referring to Christ-likeness, the glory of the Lord, Christ-likeness manifesting itself through us, Ultimate transformation into his image. The Bible calls this glorification. We are saved, which is a threefold thing. We are justified. That's our position, like we talked about in the beginning. We are being sanctified. And we will be glorified. How do we know we will be glorified? And let's just put it in another way. How do I know I'm going to make it to heaven? Because that's where glorification ultimately occurs. How do I know Christ in you is the certainty of glory? It's because Christ is in you that you have that confidence that that is the future, that glorification is where God is ultimately leading.
For the month of April, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, How the Gospel is Good News for Our Physical Selves by Sam Albury. We live in a body that is subject to age, accidents, and ailments. Entire industries are built around the age of our body, the accidents we may face, and the ailments we eventually face through time and circumstance. So is there a purpose in the bodily brokenness we are either facing or will face in the future? Is physical death the temporal climax of our bodily existence? Or is the body just a shell from which we are to ultimately escape? If you've ever wrestled with any of these questions, or you know someone who wants to know more about the ultimate purpose of the body, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, How the Gospel is Good News for Our Physical Selves by Sam Albury, is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Colossians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.